Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You could use a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Sputnik Radio, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, NHK Japan, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We'll begin with Sputnik Radio. On his program called Going Underground, Afshin Ratansi spoke with Michael Link, the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in the Occupied Palestinian Territories. He discusses how Israel's illegal settlements are the engine for the occupation, the war crimes committed by Israel in the recent 11-day bombing of Gaza, and the NSO group's Pegasus spyware, which was developed in conjunction with the Israeli military on the Palestinian population. Sputnik Radio. Joining me now from Ontario in Canada is the UN's Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights in the Occupied Palestinian Territories, Professor Michael Link. I have been in this position as Special Rapporteur for more than five years. I have never received a single um, a reply from Israel to any of the 75 or so statements that I've released, or any of the 10 reports that I've released, or any of the requests uh, made by me to be able to visit the occupied Palestinian territory. Um, they don't recognize the mandate, they don't engage in it, and they, they don't reply to anything that I write. Can I just quickly go to Gaza and ask you what you know of what is happening there, especially given Israel has been uh, aerially bombarding it with weapons supplied to them and weapon parts from Britain, uh, where I'm speaking to you from? Sure. Um, the most recent statement was made by the United Nations during a special meeting of the UN Security Council devoted to the Middle East. Uh, and the uh, deputy uh, UN coordinator uh, stated that there's attempts now to both to evaluate the amount of damage done to Gaza, both to its economy and to its infrastructure. It's probably somewhere in the area of a half a billion dollars of damage that was caused during the, the violence in May. Um, there's an attempt to try to raise money, which is going slowly uh, among international donors to, uh, to fund this again. Um, there's attempts to try to be able to widen the number of the amount of materials that are going into Gaza, both for construction and reconstruction, uh, as well as just for the daily economy. But keep in mind, you know, Gaza is flat on its back. Its economy is stagnant. Uh, it has among the highest unemployment rate of any geographic unit that the World Bank looks at, at around 50%. Its healthcare system is shattered, both by lack of uh, equipment as well as by the rise in, in COVID cases. Uh, its water is undrinkable. It's now up to about get, getting to around 14 hours a day of power each day, which is hardly enough to be able to, uh, to restart an economy. Any uh, economic development that goes on in Gaza usually is allowance of, of construction material to come in to repair what uh, Israeli missiles have wound up destroying. 
Just on the journalism element, the fact that Israel has been carrying out airstrikes in the past few days or, or weeks, why do you think it doesn't even make the front pages of newspapers in the capitals of countries supplying the weaponry to, to bomb this area you speak of so sadly? Sir, I, I'd like to think I don't have a cynical bone in my body with respect to this. How else would I do this job unless I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist? But the question you know, then becomes, if it's not, um, if, it, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. Here we have more than 2 million people penned up uh, behind a 14-year-old blockade that constitutes collective punishment, which is illegal under international law. Yet I can't think of a single other situation in the world where you have this number of people behind fencing and basically not, not able to move outside of, uh, of that restricted area. And yet the, the, the level of attention given to the ongoing rights violations caused by this is minuscule. Yeah, but, um, but if it bleeds, it leads. They are bleeding. I mean, what was it? Uh, how many were injured in the illegal beta settlement uh, just in the past few days, 150 uh, wounded? Yeah. You call this uh, the settlement's war crimes. Yes. And look, and that is not a hard thing to, to come by. I think any uh, international uh, lawyer looking at the definition of war crimes under the Rome Statute of 1998, which created the International Criminal Court, will see that the, that the definition of uh, an occupying power moving parts of its civilian population into the occupied territory is clearly unambiguously defined as a war crime. And that language was directly borrowed from the 1949 Fourth Geneva Convention, and the 1977 additional protocols. And those earlier um, documents in international law that the Security Council, the General Assembly, and the uh, UN Human Rights Council have repeatedly said Israel is in flagrant violation of. So it's no great logical step to say that if the settlements are a grave breach under the 14th Convention, then using virtually the same language, they're war crime under the 1998 uh, Rome Statute. Well, uh, Israel obviously denies war crimes. The United States uh, doesn't appear to really recognize the UN Human Rights uh, Council. And presumably it's now up to the International Criminal Court to decide on the allegations of uh, war crimes. The settlements are clearly illegal under international law. Every single country in the world accepts that. And if they are illegal, a flagrant violation, say, according to the Security Council, and a war crime, then what are we doing uh, allowing those settlement goods to come into the European market or the North American market. That economic oxygen given to them only allows them to continue to, to flourish. There are now around 700,000 Israeli settlers and somewhere between 250 to 300 settlements in, in occupied East Jerusalem and, and the West Bank. That's the, that's the engine of the occupation. And that's the main reason for the continuation of the occupation. And that's the main obstacle to realizing genuine Palestinian self-determination, which the world says it is in favor of. Uh, the Pegasus spyware, is it uh, your understanding that it could be used against all people to track all people in the uh, territories occupied since 1967? Right now, maybe? First of all, is the way in which uh, these private Israeli and other uh, cybersecurity companies have been able to sell their advanced cyber technology to countries around the world, including many authoritarian countries, has meant that these, these countries are able to use this advanced uh, spyware on their own citizens, particularly with respect to political dissidents and those engaged in critical uh, journalism. That is a, is a grave breach 
uh, both the right to dissent as well as the right to privacy. You know, second, you know, it shows that there is virtually no oversight, at least uh, with respect to the Israeli government, who has to issue export licenses to these companies, such as NSO, to be able to send their, uh, their spyware uh, abroad. And there's a huge gap with respect to that, and it perhaps suggests that there's been, you know, a fair amount of collusion between the Israeli government uh, and these spyware companies in sending this cybersecurity surveillance off to companies that Israel wants to be able to uh, to nourish a relationship. But the third big issue, which is the one that's not really been covered by these revelations over the past several weeks, is that this cyber spyware was developed on the Palestinian population over the last three and four decades. Most of these Israeli cybersecurity companies at their origins in what is called Unit 8200, which is the military unit devoted to surveillance of the Palestinian population. So what is used on, on Palestinians today is used on the world population tomorrow. Well, obviously the NSO group denies any wrongdoing and says what it's doing is uh, trying to create a peaceful and safer world. But special rapporteur, thank you. That interview is by Afshin Ritansi from his program called Going Underground, heard on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com, as well as on YouTube. Next, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Southern Europe has had extreme hot weather, leading to the biggest fires ever seen in Turkey and Greece. Swiss police broke up protest against banks who are financing fossil fuel projects. The German Green Party has launched an action plan with climate change as the center of their election campaign. Wuhan, China has had the first local COVID cases in a year. In Australia, Sydney and Brisbane are under COVID lockdown and the military have been deployed to help police enforce restrictions. Police in Berlin, Germany, battled with vaccine protesters, detaining 500 of them. Radio Deutsche Welle. Hundreds of people in southwest Turkey have been forced to leave their homes after a wildfire engulfed the outer edges of a nearby thermal power plant. Fire crews battled the flames, which were fanned by strong winds and have now contained the blaze. Scorching heat has made southern Europe a wildfire hotspot as Turkey and Greece fight some of the biggest blazes on record. Thousands are fleeing as the flames threaten neighborhoods and resorts on the Mediterranean coast. Evacuations in the Turkish town of Milas. People were hurrying to get away as wildfires closed in on a power station. On Wednesday evening, flames were already lapping at its edges. The power plant operates using coal and fuel oil. The power station is but the latest victim of this summer's wildfires. Putting them out is a race against time with too little manpower and equipment. Almost 200 fires have been contained across southern Turkey in the past eight days, but fresh blazes continue to spring up. Like Turkey and other parts of the Mediterranean region, Greece is fighting its own battle against flames and smoke. On Wednesday, suburbs in the capital city of Athens got evacuation orders too. Firefighting planes are working non-stop and we hope to be able to contain the Athens fire today. Firefighters are dealing with a number of reignitions, but they're not serious. 
The extreme heat and fires have prompted other European countries to join the emergency response. The heat wave is forecast to hover over the region until at least the end of the week. This is by far the most aggressive and long-lasting heat wave that Greece has suffered in decades. Temperatures during the day peak at around 46 degrees Celsius, which is about 114 degrees Fahrenheit, and even at night, temperatures don't drop below the 30 degrees Celsius mark. The government advises people to stay inside, drink lots of liquids and use the air conditioning. Not too excessively though, the government is scared that the country's power grid might overcharge, leading to major blackouts and leaving thousands of people unprotected from the heat. The situation in the cities is especially bad. The municipalities keep public buildings open until late at night so that people who don't have access to climatized rooms find shelter. Police in Switzerland have cleared climate change protesters from Zurich's central financial district. Demonstrators blocked the entrances to two of the country's biggest banks in protest at their financing of fossil fuel projects. Climate campaigners have staged a series of actions nationwide. Germany's Greens have launched an action plan putting climate change at the center of their election campaign. The party wants to create a dedicated climate ministry in the government. Other campaigning points for the September elections include speed limits on the autobahns, expanding renewable energy, and faster phase-out of fossil fuels. In China and the city of Wuhan, which has launched another citywide coronavirus testing campaign. This after a small cluster of the Delta variant was identified on Monday. Wuhan had previously reported no locally transmitted cases for more than a year. Australian airline Qantas has furloughed 2,500 staff for the next two months in response to falling domestic passenger numbers. The downturn comes as the country's biggest and third biggest cities, Sydney and Brisbane, are in lockdown because of growing clusters of the Delta variant. Australia has sent troops to help police enforce COVID-19 lockdowns. Soldiers will visit homes in Sydney to check whether people are isolating. Stay-at-home restrictions in Brisbane have been extended by a week. Police here in Berlin have detained around 500 people after illegal demonstrations against coronavirus restrictions. Protesters attempted to hold a number of marches in the German capital despite a court order banning them. Police used physical force and pepper spray to break up the gatherings. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com. They are also available at YouTube. Next, NHK Japan. Every day, Japan continues to see record-breaking numbers of COVID infections, leading the government to prepare lockdown orders. Thailand also saw record surges in COVID cases. Japanese health officials are trying to stop misinformation about vaccines. Germany is sending a warship to the South China Sea, claiming it is not intended to intimidate China. United Nations delegates are considering regulating autonomous tanks and drones on the battlefield. The UK is threatening Iran over a drone strike on an oil tanker while Iran denies involvement. NHK Japan
We begin here in Tokyo, where a new record is casting a pall over the city currently hosting the Olympic Games. The capital saw its highest daily tally of coronavirus cases ever on Thursday, topping 5,000. Nationwide, cases exceeded 15,000, marking a record high for the second day in a row. Tokyo officials confirmed 5,042 new daily cases. As cases continue to surge across the country, experts are expressing a greater sense of crisis and urgency. Tokyo and five other prefectures are already under a state of emergency. Five additional prefectures are taking intensive antivirus measures in limited areas and periods. Omi said if cases continue to climb, the government may have to consider changing or creating laws to introduce stronger measures such as lockdowns. Turning now to Thailand, where officials have reported more than 20,000 coronavirus cases, its highest ever daily count. It comes as the government extended strict measures to wider areas starting Tuesday, while it struggles to contain the, contain the highly transmissible Delta variant. The country's COVID-19 task force announced a record 20,200 cases and 188 deaths on Wednesday. The surge in patients has left hospitals overwhelmed, especially in hotspot areas, including Bangkok. With 90% of hospital beds in the capital filled, more people have been dying in their homes in recent weeks. Authorities are calling on infected people with minor or no symptoms to isolate at home so hospitals can deal with severe cases. Meanwhile, Japanese health authorities have been taking aim at the spread of misleading information about vaccines. The National Institute of Infectious Diseases says some of its findings are being shared on social media without proper context. It comes after researchers reported last month that 67 people in the country were confirmed to be infected with the coronavirus over a three-month period, despite being fully vaccinated. The Institute stressed in the report that vaccines are highly effective, while adding it's still important to take anti-infection measures after getting inoculated. But some people have been using social media to falsely claim the Institute has acknowledged vaccines are ineffective. The Institute expressed deep concern over the problem. It warned against distorting healthy science-based discussion. Institute head Wakita Takaji underscored the benefits of vaccinations but said some risk of infection could remain. Germany is sending a warship to the South China Sea for the first time in almost two decades. It's the latest move by Western countries to expand their presence amid China's aggression in the region. The frigate Bayern or Bayern left port with more than 200 sailors on board. Their mission will last seven months. German officials say the ship will travel through common trade routes. It will make ports of call in Australia, Japan, Vietnam and South Korea. It will also help monitor U.N. sanctions against North Korea. China is Germany's most important trading partner. German officials says the frigate's mission is not directed against any particular country, even though it will sail through the South China Sea. They are still negotiating a stopover at a Chinese port in an effort to maintain dialogue. UN delegates are debating what to do about the next generation of weapons on the battlefield. They're discussing how to regulate so-called killer robots, autonomous systems that can attack targets without human input. 
Arms manufacturers have been developing self-directed drones, tanks and other weapons. They're controlled by computers that run on artificial intelligence systems. UN officials have been discussing the ethics of the weapon since 2017. This is their first meeting in nearly a year. Delegates and experts from around 50 countries are taking part. This is a crucial moment to build on years of rich discussions and valuable contributions to make progress towards a concrete outcome on the aspects of the normative and operational framework. Participants must first come up with a working definition of the weapons. Then they'll decide what restrictions they may be subjected to. Delegates from the U.S., Russia and other countries are wary of restrictions. Those countries are involved in developing the weapons. Others, like Austria and South Africa, want stricter regulations. UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has been urging a ban. He says the weapons are unacceptable and repugnant. The delegates will continue their discussions and wrap up the meeting at the end of next week. Tensions are rising between the United Kingdom and Iran after a deadly attack on an oil tanker last week. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is accusing leaders in Tehran of ordering a drone strike that killed a British national. Johnson says Iran will face consequences. This was clearly uh, an unacceptable and outrageous attack on uh, commercial uh, shipping. Uh, a UK national uh, died. The ship was sailing off the coast of Oman in the Arabian Sea. Military experts believe it was attacked by a drone that was carrying explosives. Two crew members were killed. Officials in the U.S. and Israel have also accused Iran. And they say they're coordinating a response. Leaders in Iran denied involvement. And foreign ministry spokesperson vowed that Tehran would carry out its own response to any aggressions. Israel and Iran have accused each other of attacking ships in the region. This is believed to be the first time a strike has turned deadly. It comes as tensions in the Middle East are rising over Iran's efforts to revive its nuclear program. Those reports were from NHK Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7245 and 7355 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me keep producing this weekly show which is freely distributed to radio stations and the internet. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. The Cuban Foreign Minister Rodriguez thanks China, Mexico, and Venezuela for supplies delivered to the island. He also condemned the sanctions the European Union has leveled against the Nicaraguan Vice President and other officials. Then a viewpoint on Joe Biden working hard to get the Cuban-American vote in the state of Florida. Radio Havana, Cuba. 
Given Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez thanks China for donating long ventilators to the island to face COVID-19. On Twitter, the Foreign Minister described the arrival of the 30 pieces of equipment as a genuine expression of the close friendship that unites both nations and expressed his gratitude to the people, the Communist Party and the government of the Asian country. The devices arrived on Saturday in the Korean country as part of the first shipment of medical supplies offered by Beijing to face the current spike of pandemic in Cuba. The rest of the supplies, mainly means of protection, will arrive in the coming weeks, according to the Cuban Minister of Foreign Trade and Investment. In the last few days, Cuba has received several solidarity aids from different countries, consisting mainly of food, health care supplies and medicines. Two ships and an aircraft from Mexico and Bolivia Air Force Two from Russia and assistance from Venezuela and Jamaica confirmed the support to the Caribbean nation. Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez condemned the sanctions imposed by the European Union against Nicaragua by its President Rosario Murillo and seven other Nicaraguan citizens. From his Twitter account, the top representative of the island's diplomacy denounced that the European Union is once again resorting to double standards and politicization of human rights in blatant interference in the internal affairs of that Central American nation. The coercive measure imposed Monday by the bloc also include the President of the Supreme Court of Justice, Alba Luz Ramos, and the head of the National Assembly Parliament, Gustavo Porras. Among those sanctioned are also the Attorney General, Ana Julia Porras, the National Police Commissioners, Fidel Dominguez, and Juan Antonio Valle, the Presidential Advisor, Bayardo Arce, and the Director of Canal 8, Juan Carlos Ortega Murillo. The sanctions of the European Union against Nicaragua affect a total of 14 officials of senior authorities of that country, who are forbidden to travel or transit through European Union territory under the pretext of alleged human rights violations or actions that undermine democracy. According to the communique issued by that bloc, citizens and companies of the nations of that bloc are subject to the prohibition of making funds available to them. Incredible as it may seem, U.S. President Joe Biden, with little more than six months in office, is already on the campaign trail trying to secure the Cuban-American vote in the state of Florida, a usual Republican Party domain. This is the only way to explain his compulsive obsession against the Cuban island nation, which reached its maximum expression in a meeting held last Friday with a group of Cuban origin people, characterized by the most brutal hatred towards the homeland. Among the nine guests were Robert Menendez, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and his counterpart in the House of Representatives, Gregory Mix, once considered a progressive but now raging conservative. Also in attendance were some of those described by Biden as experts on the Cuba issue, among them music entrepreneur Emilio Stefan, question composer Jutuel Romero, as well as former Miami mayor Manny Diaz. Clearly, Biden is afraid, very afraid, of going down in history as an inept president, but also of losing the precarious majority he has in the House of Representatives and even his minority in the Senate in the November 2022 midterm elections. No wonder, as a recent poll revealed that the population's confidence in his handling of the health crisis fell from 72 points in March to 63 in July, and that 55 out of every 100 citizens are pessimistic about the country's direction, 
to any more than in May, a rapid erosion in a very short time. That's why his latest sanctions against Cuba represents a measured step to gain followers among the white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, and basically racist electorate. In addition, he must be thinking about how the winds are changing in Latin America and the positions of Mexico and Argentina, two important nations in hemispheric relations against the OAS will be keeping him awake at night. Biden has not shown many qualities as a president, let alone as a statesman, and it shows in the way he's burning his future. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please take a moment and make a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link. And get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. This shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.